Can we read God's word really quick? Can we read God's word? I want you to keep that same attitude. And, and you'll see why in a few minutes. I'm going to need you to help me preach today. So, so take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. As you're turning there, let me tell you about this narrative of Scripture. Paul writes this passage of Scripture to the people at Corinth, to the Christians who are in Corinth, and he writes the letter in such a way because he knows that they are going to share this letter with people all over the region. And it's a letter about the application of our faith. How many of you know that just hearing the word is not good enough? Hello? But when you hear the word and you are compelled to action, that is the moment that the word brings life. So many times when I preach an expository message on the topic that we will discuss today, this narrative comes into play. Because the word of God should not just tickle our ears. It should also order our steps. Can I get an amen? So let me read to you a few verses and then I'll let you be seated. But here's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says this in verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Let me read that again because I need that to resonate in your heart. And now, brothers and sisters, he's advertising about something that took place in the church in Macedonia. We want you to know about the grace. Everybody say grace. That God has given the Macedonian churches grace. You need to circle that in your Bible. Grace. What is really unique about the word grace that Paul chooses to use here is that he uses the word diakonos. The word diakonos carries with it a plethora of meanings. The very first thing that diakonos means in the Greek, it means grace. But it also means servanthood. In fact, it is a word that is used to paint the image of a waiter, if you will, or a servant who serves a table. But the word diakonos also means generosity. So I want you to look at your neighbor because I think what Paul is telling us is something that maybe we've never looked at before. We've never looked at the concept of grace in this way, but I want you to look at your neighbor and give to them the title of today's message, and that is, Giving is Serving. Look at somebody else and say, Giving is Serving. Let me, let me finish reading, because what happens here, you think that now that he's talking about the grace that has flooded on the scene at the church in Macedonia, you think that he's about to tell us what that grace is. You think that he's about to show us the measurement of grace that was poured out. But what we discover is that he measures grace in a different way. He quantifies and qualifies grace for the first time that I've ever seen in scripture in a totally different way. And here's what he says. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in re rich generosity. Oh, Lord. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. It says that they gave. Hold on a second. This was a collaborative effort. This was a together we can moment. 
The theme for 2018 for Epicenter Church is together we can. Somebody say together we can. But we also have a mantra here at Epicenter Church that says saved people serve people. But this morning, I want to take that one step further. Because many times, servanthood is expressed through generosity. Servanthood is exposed in the form of generosity. Grab it. That's why Paul used the word diakonos, which means grace, which means servanthood, but also means generosity. Servanthood is exposed in the form of generosity. Think about it. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to offer my life, to give my life up as a ransom for many, even unto death on the cross. That is why the Bible says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What Paul was telling us is because they had experienced this grace, now the reality of their lives was verses 2 and 3, that they gave beyond their measure, their ability to be able to give. So before we go any further, let me give you this thought for the day. Are you ready? The thought for the day is this. The authenticity of love can be measured by your willingness to give. Grab that. The authenticity of love can be measured by your willingness to give. For God so loved the world that he Gave. In other words, the byproduct of love is generosity. Now, hang on for a second because some of you are saying, oh, Lord, here we go. We're going to start talking about money. The preacher's going to talk about money. No, I'm not. I'm talking about generosity. I'm talking about diakonos. I'm talking about being generous with your, with your time, being generous with your talent, being generous with your treasure, being generous with your love, being generous with your willingness to help others, being generous with anything that God has placed within your hands. Because what Paul is saying is that God has put everything in your hands to begin with. So why don't we, why don't we act upon what he's placed in our hands and become generous with it? Just look at your neighbor and before you're seated and say, giving is serving. And then be seated because I need to continue. So here is Paul painting this image of the church in Macedonia going through this incredible severe trial. This severe trial. But Paul is not preaching a message to Corinth. Paul is using a message that the church at Macedonia is preaching to convey a message, if you will, to Corinth. He's talking about generosity, giving. And right now, again, some of you are saying, well, uh, you're sitting on your wallet just as hard as you can. But let me tell you something. Generosity is not connected to the status of your wallet. Generosity is not connected to the state of your wallet. It is not connected to the state of the economy. It is not connected to the state of your emotions. Generosity is connected to the state of your heart. In fact, let me show you something. Look at verses 4 and following. It says, They urgently pleaded with us 
for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also completion this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Verse 8, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Why? Because the authenticity of love can be measured by your willingness to give. It says, verse 9, for you know the grace our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Hold on a second. It's verse 4, though. I don't think you caught this. It's verse 4 that I think there is a little comical relief here. Verse 4 says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. For all practical purposes, Paul is the pastor of the church at Macedonia. And he's painting this image of Paul preaching and just laying out the word of the Lord. And all of a sudden, the church at Macedonia said, be quiet, Paul. Time out, time out, time out. We want to give. How crazy would that be? How awesome would that be? He said that they pleaded with us. I mean, I'm preaching a message and they, they say, Paul, you need to stop talking because we want to give. God's grace has been poured out in our lives and we want to pour out. The grace that God has poured into us. It, it, it would be like Ian, Pastor Ian coming up here and he's giving you the announcements. And, and it'd be like you saying, shut up Ian because we're ready to give. I'm going to need some help preaching this. Can I get an amen just for, just for the sake of it? Amen. Go ahead and give, give me a down payment on hallelujah. Somebody go ahead and say hallelujah i got to make sure that you're with me today. Thank you, Carmen. So Paul says that they gave in such a way that it even exceeded our expectations. In their severe trial, it exceeded our expectations. This is the same Paul who would later write that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, ask, or imagine. So, so let me pause for a minute and do some work around this concept because... I think you'll have a better context for the conversation that we're going to have. Because here's Paul, again, writing this letter to the church at Corinth, if you will, really this whole region. But he's talking about what's happened over in Macedonia. So it's an advertisement, if you will. He's advertising to the church at Corinth about what's happening at Macedonia. Huh. So whenever I see... a uh, uh, a passage of scripture this way, a narrative written this way, I try to, Jonathan, place myself in the story as if I'm receiving this letter myself. What would be my response? What would my reaction be? Let me show you something in verse 1. Look, look, here's what it says. So remember, he's writing this, and he says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So, Whenever they received this in Corinth, 
they, they read that very first verse. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. At that moment, they're like, oh, you better go call auntie and uncle. Come on, because God's about to do something cool. We want everybody to hear this. Go gather everybody up because the grace of God showed up over Macedonia and he's about to pour it out right here, right now. So go get everybody you can. They're on the edge of their seat. They're like, praise the Lord. What's going to come next? What's going to be next? Woo, give it to us, Jesus. Give it to us, Lord, because we want to hear about that grace. You know, we always want to receive a gift from God, but we don't necessarily want to be a gift for God. It's all about that grace. But never mind. I don't know who that was. So, so, so here's Paul writing about, about the grace of God. Here he is writing about the grace of God. So they're like, yeah, 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 tell us all about it. Tell us all about it. They want to hear about that grace. They want to hear about that grace that's unending. He's about to tell us about that grace that brings heaven to earth. He's about to tell us about that grace that gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. That grace that brings all of the promises of God to us. That grace that offers forgiveness. That grace that offers hope. That grace that offers help. That grace that offers salvation. That grace that offers healing. That grace that offers encouragement. If you've ever received that grace, then somebody ought to praise him. So Donna, they're, 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 oh, give it to us. We want to hear it. They're on the edge of the seats. They're like, yay. Then verse 2, it's like in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Hold on a second. In a very severe trial, he doesn't tell us what the trial is. Most theologians believe that the trial is an economic hardship. So if it's an economic hardship, there's a contradiction of terms here. It says in, in, their, in their extreme poverty, it welled up into rich generosity. What? In their extreme poverty, it welled up into rich generosity. In their lack... Something opposite of lack took place. Hold on a second. When the pressures of reality were on them, their, theologi their, their, their theology was squeezed and out of their theology came generosity. Hold on a second. I need you to grab this. When your reality comes against your theology, it's at that moment that you will discover who you are. Did you hear me? When your reality comes against your theology, that's when you will discover who you are. When you have lack in your life, sometimes it's hard for you to, when you have all of this lack, this severe trial that's around you, it's hard for you to say, well, he's my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Why? Because you're so focused on what is missing in your life that you miss out on who's in control of your life. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. It's so easy to focus on the severe trial. It's like the old preacher said, when we find ourselves in that place, he says, it's easier to bring our theology down to the level of our reality rather than bringing our reality up to the level of our theology. Did you get that? I want to make sure you got it, so let me tell you again. 
It's easier to bring our theology down to the level of our reality rather than using our theology to bring our reality up. You see, that's what God places in our, in our hearts. Think about it. They're in a very severe trial. They're in a very severe trial, but it says that they gave. <laughs> Extreme generosity welled up within them, and they were overjoyed. I need you to grab this. They were overjoyed. Let me tell you something. You may be in a trial in your life, but just because you are in a severe trial does not mean that God's joy will not overshadow you. It will not rain down upon you. What you need to understand, though, is that their joy did not come because the grace of God flowed to them. Their joy was the result of the grace of God flowing through them. Woo, Lord have mercy. Good God Almighty. So I began to study this passage of Scripture because, to be honest with you, it's a very awkward passage of Scripture. It, it's, it articulates grace in a way that is somewhat strange. I ran across something that a theologian wrote, and, and let me share this with you. Here's what he said. It's not in your notes, so let me just give it to you. He said this. He said, the grace that Paul was making reference to was not in what they had received, but rather what they were willing to give. Grab that. The grace that Paul was making reference to was not in what they had received. We all want to receive the grace of God. Pour it out, God. But rather in what they were willing to give. He goes on to say this. Here, this is in your notes. He goes on to say that Paul considers both the opportunity to give and the willingness to give a gift from the grace of God. That's deep. Paul considers both the opportunity to give and your willingness to give, both of those, a gift from the grace of God. You know why? Because many of us have opportunities. It's just when the opportunity presents itself, there is an unwillingness on our part. And the unwillingness on our part disconnects us from the flow of God's grace. Mm. Oh, Lord, have mercy. The unwillingness. You see, if you have had an interaction with Jesus Christ and he has flooded your heart with goodness, you realize all that he has done for you. It should compel you to want to do something for him. It should compel you to want to pour out grace upon others. It should compel you to want to pour out grace in your marriage, in your finances, with your kids, in your career. And when you find yourself in a dry place that seems to be lacking something, it's at that moment that God will walk you into the grace that's more than enough. It's in that moment that you'll realize the blessing of God that he shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Good Lord, have mercy. Somebody give me a mm-hmm. You see, the joy that was in their lives was not the result of what they had received. The joy that was in their lives was in the result, was the result of what they had given. And so he's telling the people at Corinth about what happened at the church at Macedonia. And he's saying they've placed a priority on, on being generous. What he's saying to us is if you lack the priority of generosity, then you're going to see everything that you have as your own. 
and you're going to begin to think that you owe no one anything or nor are you responsible for anything because it's all yours in fact look at verse 7 he realized that and so he said something in verse 7 put it up for me verse 7 says but since you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge a complete earnestness and in the love that we've kindled in you see that you also excel in this grace of giving do you know what the word excel means in the Greek that word means see that you place a priority on giving oh hold on a second so it's the priority in our lives of being generous that connects us to this joy that Paul is talking about. Oh, hold on a second. So, so there's two things that Paul is doing. Remember he said in their extreme trial, this economic hardship, their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. So what he's saying is in their extreme trial, in the face of the extreme trial, they had an opportunity. They took advantage of the opportunity by being willing to serve others by giving. Mm. All because they had a priority on generosity. Now hang on with me for a minute. Can I get up in your business for a second? Is that okay? I need an amen on that. Some of you may be saying, well, Pastor Mark, I just don't feel the provision of God in my life. I feel like uh, the lack is overwhelming me. I don't feel, I feel I'm disconnected from the provision of God. Well, could it be that you're disconnected from the provision of God because you've disconnected from the priority of generosity? Hold on a second. Mm. Could it be that what you're hoping for in life, the lack that you have that's overwhelming you is a direct result of a lack of generosity, you prioritizing generosity in your life. You see, many times we, we have lack in our lives and we want to blame something else, but many times the lack in our lives is just that we've placed our priorities in the wrong places. If you don't have a priority on generosity in your budget, you will always be broke. If you don't tell your money where to go, you will always wonder where your money went. It's not just about money. If you don't place a priority on love in your relationships, then you will lack love in your relationships. I wrote something down. It's probably in your notes. Sometimes we find ourselves lacking in life, and it's not a matter of God's provision. It's a matter of our priorities. Heaven has everything that you need, but you're disconnected from heaven because your priorities have disconnected you from the flow of grace. Heaven has everything that you need, but God can't get it to you because you refuse to allow him to get it through you. Mm. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. God, help me. Help, help me teach this. I, I, I want you to grab this. I want you to grab this. In Malachi chapter 3, God talks about tithing. Everybody say tithing. 
Tithing is bringing the first 10% of your income back to God. In fact, the verse of Scripture says, bring the tithe into the storehouse. It does not say give, it says bring. Why does it not say give? The reason why it does not say give is because everything that you have is God's anyway. So all you're doing is bringing something back to Him that is already His. You can't give something to God when He first gave it to you. But then there is this place, this beautiful scripture that says when you do this, that He will open the windows of heaven that there is not room enough to receive. So I wrote this down, and I don't want to mess this up. I wrote this down. This is not in your notes either. This is a freebie. This is my paraphrased version of that verse. That the heavens have what you need if you will release what you have. And once you release what you have, you will always receive what you need. I, I need you to grab this. Because it says that they gave in their extreme poverty, welled up rich generosity. It, this is not about money. This is about having a heart of, of generosity. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, giving is serving. Let me help you understand something. They did not give out of an overflowing wealth. Their giving, their generosity was not the result of wealth that was overflowing. Their generosity was a result of God overflowing in their hearts. It reminds me of, of John chapter 6. Is this okay? Is this okay? She, praise the Lord. She's loving this. John chapter 6, there's this story about this young boy who has a box lunch. He's got a lunch box. The lunch box has five loaves of bread and two fish, enough for this boy to eat, and maybe one or two others. He comes riding along. The disciples, they come to Jesus, and they tell Jesus, they notify Jesus of the need that is present, as if Jesus doesn't already see the need that's in front of him. There's 20,000 or so people who are hungry, and so the disciples say, Jesus, they're hungry. And so Jesus looks at them and says, okay, if they're hungry, then why don't you go and buy them some food so that they can eat? And Philip says, oh, no, 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 no. That would cost way too much money. Along comes this little boy on the bike. He's just getting it. He comes flying by, and he says, Jesus, I understand that there's a need over here. I've got this. I've got this little lunchbox. He said, you can have it. it. It has five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus takes the boy's lunchbox. He tells everyone who's in need to sit down. Then he takes the boy's lunchbox, and the very first thing that he does is he reconnects it back to God. He says, God, this is the result of your hand. Now do with it what only you can. 
after he reconnects it to the source, the source of grace in the first place, he says to the disciples, I want you to pass it out to everybody. They start passing food out to all 20,000 people. The Bible says that they get so full that now he tells the disciples, go back and gather up what is left over. There is such an illustration here for the disciples because the disciples didn't understand generosity either. And so when the disciples went and started gathering it all up, there was 12 baskets left over, which was more than they even started with. The point that I'm trying to make, and somebody needs to hear this this is prophetic for somebody in this place what you need from god may be in seed form in your hand and it may look like it's dead but once you sow it you'll have the harvest lord have mercy so 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 here's the deal you you may you may have a need in your life, but why don't you sow what that need is into someone else's life? So you need, you, you need, uh, you need more love, then why don't you sow more love? You, you, you need more blessing, then why don't you be a blessing to someone? You need breakthrough, why don't you be someone else's breakthrough? You need help, why don't you be someone else's help? You need a financial blessing, then why don't you become a giver? Because that's what his word says. And right there in my notes, it says that a few will clap and one will stand. <laughs> Again, we are not, money is just one small piece of generosity. Look at verses 8 and 9. I don't know where my team's at, but my team, come on back. Verses 8 and 9 says this. Let me find it. Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 says, I am not commanding you, but I just want to test the sincerity of your love. Why? Because love, the authenticity of love can be measured through generosity. But verse 9, he says something. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Hold on a second. The King of Kings. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the, the creator of the universe gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That son had to leave the beauty of heaven to come to, to, to earth. That son who was the creator had to become the created. That son had to give it all up to put on the stinkiness of flesh, so to speak. That son had to die on a cross so that you might have eternal life. That son gave it all so that you might have some. Hold on a second. Y'all been watching this wedding. Ain't no way Harry's going to give it all up for you. I'm just saying. He don't even know you, but if somebody said, hey, there's somebody who's sitting in a pew or a seat in Epicenter Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Are you willing to give it all up for that person that you've never met? Are you willing to give your life for that person? Nope. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. He's going to say, nope. But Jesus did. 
So here was this boy who gave Jesus this lunchbox, very little, but Jesus multiplied it. Hmm. You see, when you realize all that God has done for you and he's given you everything, it should compel you to give. When you realize that God has given you life itself, it should compel you to want to be generous. When you realize all that Jesus Christ has done for you to give you life, it should make you realize that you cannot outgive God, when you realize that you are meant to be a generous blessing to someone else in the extreme trial, you know what will happen? God will bless your lying down. He'll bless your rising up. He'll bless your coming in. He'll bless your going out. He'll bless you in the city. He'll bless you in the field. Good God Almighty, somebody give God a generous praise up in this place. Let me tell you this. When we praise God, we lift up our hands. It's just an outward expression of an inward heart condition. But something that I very rarely notice is someone lifting their hands up and having their fist closed. Because when you praise God, you generally, it's a, it's a show of surrender. So you have your hands open. But I need you to understand something. It's not so you can receive something from God. It's so that you can give something to God. But let me say this to you. If your hands are closed because you lack the priority of generosity, when your theology is squeezed, you will miss out on who God is because you will focus on what's not happening rather than who he is. So live your life with an open hand. Because if you'll open your hand, he'll fill it again. He'll fill it again. Giving is serving. Giving is serving. Giving is serving. 